We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. everybody welcome to 2024 a year where arsenal are currently unbeaten and it has been a year since we lost a game this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is Elliot smith you can me on gunner yeah i went for the obvious joke brain's a little too fried today to go for anything a little more sophisticated than that but if you think about it haven't lost a game since last year, if you can remember back to 2023, the heady days of 2023, Arsenal had lost consecutive games. Well, feels like ages ago now that we're in a new year, doesn't it? And uh, hopefully we'll feel like ages ago when we go on to lift all kinds of trophies at the end of this season in 2024. Still a chance to make it a special, memorable, magical year slash season for the Arsenal. And it is my expectation that that is precisely what we will do. But I can understand people not feeling great today. Asked for a few questions. We'll try to weave those into the podcast. And like, it is always a delicate balance to react to losses, to react to down periods in the season and try to zoom out enough to have perspective, but also not hand wave the issues. And I think there are plenty of issues that may be, I would say, more stubborn problems for our season while also recognizing that had we beaten Fulham, we would currently be top uh, as we wait for the Liverpool game to kick off. So a, a bit of a difficult one to parse, but I've got the perfect people to parse it with me. Perfect parsing people, you might say. One of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pausing in my pants. I'll pause. Ooh. Pausing in my pants is the perfect parsing person. Yeah, that's a lot, of, a lot of alliteration on a New Year's morning. And here with me now, a man who doesn't have a C in his first name, but has it in his last name, a perfect parsing person, Palmer. You know him as Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Um, we can't get Tim on the pod, not because we don't love him and want to hear from him, but because he currently communicates by notes app. Uh, he has lost his voice. He is ordering his hells uh, at the Emirates using the notes app, which is news to me because I thought the notes app was only ever used to uh, make public apologies for things you've done wrong. So you learn something new every day. Clive, starting with you, big picture. How bad is it? Uh, is the Fulham game a one-off or is the Fulham game a, a warning of things to come? Uh, a lot of people, I think, feeling like it's over, it's gone. I get it. We we exist in a timeline where Manchester City have made it feel like you can't win a title dropping any points. But 15 years ago or 10 years ago, we might be looking at our position right now as a perfect 
place to assault the title from, you know, a, a, a sort of base camp, if you will. So how, how worried are you about that performance and what it might mean for uh, where we go from here? Um, I can't say if it's a one-off, but I can say it's a one-off based on how bad we were. You know, mm. for me, I, I I do think, you know, when we played Newcastle, I thought we were fine, you know, a bit controversial. When we lost at Villa, well, we were better than Villa. They were hanging on for 80 minutes. Um, West Ham, well, statistical numbers are the best since <laughs> I had an Afro type a long time ago, you know what I mean? Um, unbelievable sort of numbers. And then you come to Fulham. And against Fulham, we didn't play well. We didn't play well anywhere. We didn't play well at the back, didn't play well in midfield, didn't play well up front. And it was a strange game to do an IR on because, man, you could go literally anywhere you wanted to go. You could rip any player you wanted to rip. You could, in any part of the pitch, you can rip <laughs> players who are not here because you haven't bought them. You could then remind yourselves of players who didn't play and how they always get better when you lose like that. We did not play well, not only in any department, but in any phase of the game, which is basically in possession, out possession, and transition. We didn't control those phases of the game. And for the first time, we looked like a, a team that was beaten properly. You know, we were, we were, our structure had broken apart, our pressing had broken apart, we looked vulnerable, and some of our very best, league best players that would get in any league team of the year just looked pretty average. And when you start to see that, you got, you got to take a deep breath. And in some, in a weird way, when there's so many things that are wrong, and so many things that didn't look right from a game preparation perspective, it's sort of comforting because we have we haven't seen that before in a long time, which means something was wrong with our approach. Something was wrong with how we went into that game. Also, Fulham played above themselves, you know. So, um, mm. so yeah, I've not seen it. I haven't felt this bad for in quite a while from a from a game perspective. But not just the result; it's the performance, and it always is the performance for me. Um, but when you get two together like that, a bad performance and a bad result, New Year's Eve, thanks a lot, mate. <laughs> off we go yeah, into well, the evening. At least you were planning to do some heavy drinking that night anyway. So, you know, <laughs> you, know you don't have to explain that it was Arsenal that did it to you. You could say it was for New Year's. Uh, Paul, let's start to zoom back in on the game, though. We'll do a bit on the game, then we'll zoom back out and get big picture again on squad management, on attacking issues, maybe a little on January. There's a lot here, but... This game started the way you'd want a game to start for Arsenal. We got a goal. And we got a goal in a non-traditional way lately, which is not up against a low block, but in a transition moment. Kai plays the ball well out to Martinelli, who had the rare opportunity to find the ball in space. Martinelli cuts inside. He gets a good shot off. Saka doesn't make the best contact, but he's arriving in the right place so that it doesn't really matter, and we get a goal. And it's, it's interesting because in that moment, I thought... You know, if this is how this game is going to go and Fulham's going to come at us and we're already with a 1 0 lead, we'll really be able to play in a way that we don't often get to. You know, in space, that should help Martinelli, that should help Saka, that should help even Eddie Nketiah, who, while I'm not sure I liked the decision to drop Jesus for Eddie, you know, I think Eddie can play well when there's big spaces to run into. And it didn't play out that way. So I wonder what you think about, you know, the way we got that goal and why we weren't able to, to do more against Fulham in the period following that goal, given that they were coming at us and they were, you know, 
I think more of a protagonist in the game than we're used to seeing from our opposition. Yeah, um, I have no idea. But I'm mm. I'm sure I'll evolve opinions as we go along. <laughs> um, look, what I noticed about the goal, well, there's two things that come to mind on it. Uh, it was glorious four minutes, mm. and I think we should revel in those four minutes. But it starts from Raya with the quick uh, distribution uh, through Havertz Martinelli. Martinelli is finally 1v1 versus his fullback, which he hasn't been. It feels like an age since he's got that. Certainly didn't get that against West Ham. I think in part it's because the distribution came so quickly from the back. I don't think it was genius by Raya, but it was quick. It was good. I think it's part of the logic of why we're looking to make a goalkeeper switch there while we're scratching our head looking for logic, that ability to play more from the back and to stretch out an opponent. Now, it didn't transpire across the rest of the game that we managed to stretch them out and and create space, but it certainly was the quintessential goal for why you want Havertz in your midfield. The, The legs to stretch the pitch, the quick ball out to Martinelli, get him 1v1. Something we haven't seen very much recently. Um, And maybe one of my frustrations, especially against Liverpool and a little bit against West Ham, but but maybe that's just reverse narrative, is that we haven't... Against Liverpool, we didn't play out from the back at all. Now, uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't rip into the Liverpool performance or the West Ham performance based on the fact that I've just seen the Fulham performance. Um, But I had thought we were going to do more of that play from the back than we have seen. Um, There are certainly plenty of teams who play more from the back than we do, but it's interesting that that's not... It wouldn't be the characteristic you, you... see when you watch Arsenal, but it might be something you assume we we do more than we actually do. Um, this That was a moment in the game where we stretched them out, and the rest of the game, the performance was like... So I think we're a bit hypocritical, really, when we're talking about this performance, because which one of us, when making love at some stage in the past, hasn't put in a performance like that? And it was just... You, you know you've done it. You don't you, know you mean why. Where there's a good four minutes and then a lot of recriminations and crying and regret afterwards. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, you, you, I guess start, it does sound vaguely familiar. You start um, with enthusiasm, but you're just not feeling it. And I, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the the role of uh, executive producer here and stop and stop you there and move on. Um, yes, I will move on from there. But well, there is something about an arsenal, about an anything performance, but I think in particular about positional play. If you play at 95%, which we did across the board, it's like people will say you didn't show up and it was terrible and why didn't they care and this, that, and the other. I don't know who those people are. But be, everybody being a bit off it, I, I don't care what team it is. We've played against teams where they play fairly well, but they just, they're just not really there. And across the board... From there on, it's just like everything's a yard short. That mm-hmm. we pressed, but not with great effect. Everything was done without great effect. We lost more duels than we should have. And there's a weird thing in football that if 95% is a, actually in terms of, of uh, effort, commitment, being on it together, turns into about 50% in terms of output. Um, yeah. Uh, and like, I do think it's a one-off. I think there's plenty to worry about in the season. But you look at Brighton, Liverpool, West Ham; those were performances, and this was 
a complete non-performance. And you, you, I think the other thing you could graph is Rice's performance. He's been brilliant electric every bloody game, apart from West Ham, where he was still pretty good, but he was not his usual self. And then this game, where he, Odegaard, Gabriel, they're all throwing up their arms, frustrated with each other, frustrated with themselves. It was just a terrible, bad day. Mm. And I do think it's an aberration as a game. It doesn't, but it may link to the fact that we're we've kind of run out of gas and we're fed up with people kind of knowing how to play and us having one way to play. And unless we're totally on it, we're way off it. Yeah. And, you know, in the first half, the game was a little more evenly contested. And in the second half, after they got their goal, <clears throat> they were able to sit deep. And I mean, it, it is pretty stark to me when I look at a second half where we had just five shots, 0.3 expected goals. You know, there was no rousing finish to this game. I think the subs didn't work. I think the team showed its, the, the squad showed its shortcomings in this game. But Clive, I, I do think we hit a bit of a wall. Um, you know, the, the ways that we create goals tend not to be in transition in the way that we did the first goal. We tend to do it one of two ways. High turnovers, right? We win the ball back with our press or we beat people off the dribble. Because if you look at like a Liverpool or a City, the teams that are really good, they have dribblers that are really good at beating their man, pulling a defender out of position. The last two games, our take-on rate has plummeted and our dual winning has declined. And I think that there's an energy component to that. And I think Mikel probably saw that and tried to, I mean, he couldn't play Zinchenko because Zinchenko's ish injured. So I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to focus on the decision to play Kivior because Kivior is the next man up. But he did play Eddie. I think that the idea there is to try to inject some energy into the front three in terms of, you know, being able to run at defenders and, and press and, and bring some of the energy back to the team. But it just didn't look like it's there. You know, do you want to maybe weigh in on, on those two inclusions? Because they were the big change from a performance at West Ham that admittedly was probably pretty good, minus the end product, to one at Fulham that was unrecognizable. Do you have any thoughts on the the two changes he made, one enforced and one, you know, sort of um, just his his own instincts? Yeah, we don't know the details behind Jesus' non-inclusion. Um, I don't think he played that well against West Ham. Um, so when we don't win, then we we want him on the pitch, don't we? That's just that's just natural. Um, I do have a, an issue with the City boys. I, I don't. I'm starting to ask the question: Are they every weekers? You know, they haven't been every weekers in their career so far. And when they come to Arsenal, and we ask them to play every week and be leaders in the team. They can't stay fit. Well, they can't stay fresh. So there's a legitimate question to ask, are they every weekers? And by that, I mean three days a week. Sorry, every, a game every three days. Apologies. Mm. And so that's that's to be proven, in my opinion, because every time they get some sort of rhythm, they break down or need to be rested. You know, And uh, for all the Sinchenko debate, there's no debate that when he plays a number of games, one after the other, his calf goes. Same injury. And we have a number of these players... Party, Tomiyasu, Zinchenko, maybe Zajus, and maybe Smith Rowe, that are mm. not robust from a, a playing a number of consecutive games. And it puts a lot of burden on other players who we then start to question when they start to show a little bit of frailty, you know? and um, which I think is very unfair. But, but hey, I think. My my problem is really um, we ask Kivior to play a role that he just can't play. So 
he's a centre-back left-back. You've got Tommy Asu, who's a full-back centre-back, so he's more likely to be able to play a bit more of a midfield role just because of his football attributes. We have Zinchenko, who's a number 10 full-back. So obviously when he drops into midfield, it's it's very easy for him. Again, it's all about systems, what you feel comfortable with, and we we don't know what the plan was in Arteta's mind. But maybe on the day, and that sounds strange, but maybe on the day we could have inverted Ben White. Just invert mm, from the other yeah. side. Because he has the skill sets of playing midfield better than Kivior does. So invert Ben White inside. Declan goes over to the left-hand side, which is preferred side in set midfield anyway. And you create a new balance. The only downside is that Sleeve will be caught on the outside of the pitch. You know, but you could even do a thing where you, you move Kivior to like the right side of the pitch, you know, right centre-back. So you naturally keep Sleeper in the middle, Kivior to the right and Gabriel to the left. You have Ben White in front and you create your balance that way. You know, maybe drop, use Ben White as a centre-back. Do you see what I mean? Play Gabriel left-back when you're standing flat. And you just create a different balance because when we have a... Sorry, mate. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask. So I've, I've thought about that in the past. I guess I always assumed that the thing he... He, that stops him doing it from the right-hand side is he doesn't want to change the dynamic of that right pod with Odegaard and Saka. And I know you'll have thought about that, but I mean, do you? That's such an important part of our build-up play and our our attack and possession in the attacking third. Do you think he's afraid to screw with what works, even if we didn't think it was working that great, or do you think it could work with uh, White stepping into midfield and maybe o- Odegaard steps out to? to the touchline a little bit more and they just change the kind of the the rotation of the triangle or whatever there. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the team, I wasn't, I, I, we all knew that Keefield was going to come inside, didn't we? We didn't think it was going to be white. Mm-hmm. And so this is a bit after timer here, but when you see Keefield standing in the middle of the pitch and players passing past him to give it to other people, you know that the players were worried for him because players do that mm-hmm. when, they're not, when they know someone's struggling a little bit. The players are worried for him. And they were trying to protect him, you know? And he was not sure where to go, he wanted to stay out. Were we building up in a 4-1? Were we building up in a in a 3-2? Very difficult to know what the plan was. What he did do is definitely isolate Declan Rice. So he had his poorest game. Funny that, wasn't it? On his own, running around big spaces because he, he didn't have the protection around him. So my view is, Paul, it's a trade-off, isn't it, mate? Do we want to rip our midfield and make it look like there are big spaces there? Or do we do something slightly different and create a system which suits Kivior and maybe put the most technical player into midfield because Ben White, being a full-back, centre-mid, centre-back, he's just happier in those central areas. This again is about protecting players. I'm a big believer in that. Don't put players out there to die, you know, and in roles they can't succeed in and... I don't like that. As as somebody with more of a coaching background likes to help and teach people, when I see that, it hurts me. It hurts me because people judge that player and I don't think it's a fair judgment on this day. If you don't like that player, fine. On this day, I thought he was put in a situation he could not succeed in for his first game in a long time. And on on the Eddie thing, um, sorry, Paul, you going to say something else, mate? As we're looking for problem solving, I, I know we weren't going to see it yesterday, but the I, the John Stone stepping into midfield, I am curious to see one day what it would look like if Saliba did that role, stepping in instead of Kivior, instead of White. One other problem solving is 
how would Saliba do in midfield? He steps in off enough. He seems to be able to win any battle, duel, create space for himself. He has the distribution. He has the smarts. He pushes forward and attacks. Uh, we weren't going to see it yesterday, but no, maybe no. someday in the future that'll be a way to solve it. Yeah, well, Saliba's role is unique. He's a central centre-back and he's our sweeper. And so he sweeps around and he makes us all feel comfortable. So to move that player, because he has ability on the ball, would be something I would I would choose to do. And so that's the back line sorted out, and that, that fed into the midfield. Then you have the front line, you have Eddie at centre-forward. And, and, you know, I, I stood there against West Ham second half, I wanted him on that pitch. Because I recognised we, we need a centre-forward, we are in their box, we'd already got the territory we needed... So why not get somebody? We don't want him to connect or facilitate. We want you to be in the box. So I was calling for Eddie big time, particularly when Havertz was on the pitch. And so I saw him start, given some of the things I saw with Jesus, his focus in the game against West Ham and his propensity to want to be in essential spaces where we need him to be and he was everywhere else. But I felt much more comfortable once Eddie had come on. I was not surprised to see Eddie start this game at all. And... But again, where Fulham played different to West Ham, I felt their line was slightly higher. I felt they sort of lower mid-blocked us, if you see what I mean. They didn't go into their box very, very quickly because we scored first and they didn't retreat. And so we needed facilitation in centre-forward. We needed connectivity because we weren't close to their box. We didn't need the skill sets which Eddie prizes himself on, which is you know selfishness between the sticks. We didn't need that. We needed somebody to help us connect and keep going. So again, back to Elliot's point, on this day, we needed more of Jesus' skill sets in this game for the way it turned out, the way Fulham played us. Against West Ham, we were all pining for Havertz in that back post, weren't we, because of where they played. You have to remember, teams only do that. They're not good. If Havertz would have played, I wonder if West Ham would have played higher. Do you see what I mean? Teams don't give you what you what you what you want. <laughs> they take away what you know you're good at, you know. And they moved their lineup, made Eddie. Well, we did. We 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 missed Eddie out, or when he did get the ball, he couldn't control it. But he wasn't the only one. And um, and we we lack connectivity in the front end of the pitch. And so it's a it's a tough one to take, mate. Honestly, lads, I could rip through every single player. I haven't, you know, we haven't been this bad for a long time. You have to take it on the chin big time and just say, we were not good. We were not good. We didn't show any of the urgency and oomph and edge that we need to show to mm. win a game of football. And that's the truth. Yeah, we just didn't have it. We we did not have it. It looked like a game that we needed that early lead and then we needed to consolidate and get to the end of the game because it's our second game in two days. It's the end of the holiday period. You know you're only going to have so much left in the tank. We already play a very short rotation of players. We don't use the squad very much. Everybody's dealing with fatigue at this time, but because of the way we use our squad, fatigue was going to be an issue. And and so, you know, when you get a lead, you you have to consolidate. You know, I've seen a lot of people, by the way, say, oh, for their first goal, we don't score goals like that. Well, first of all, we don't find ourselves running into space like that. But what I thought was interesting is it's a left-footed cross from the left wing, and we never invert... Or we never uh, swap our, our wide forwards. So we have two inverted wingers. Saka's never crossing from the byline with his left, and Martinelli's never crossing from the byline with his right. Right? They always have to cut inside for the in-swinger. Or if they are cutting it back or crossing it with their weaker foot, it's not as good a delivery. So I, you know, I, I still think there's opportunities for us to try switching sides with the wingers from time to time. I don't, I don't understand why we never do that. Um, but we don't. 
The the interesting thing though, Paul, is like football's a weird sport because there's there's a world where you win games. I, this is why I think it's so dumb when people say the hallmark of a good team is they win games when they're not good. Because the hallmark of a good team is you play well every game. But Gabriel Martinelli, you know, everybody said, oh, we were too slow, we were too turgid. Gabriel Martinelli has a chance from the center of the box that just slides wide of the post. And if you watch that play back, it is brilliant. One, two, three, four, first time passing. Tic-tac-toe, right to Martinelli. He, It's an excellent— Sack it to Rice to Martinelli, right? Yep, sack it to Rice to Martinelli. Um, actually, sack it to Rice to Odegaard to Martinelli, I think. Um, it's a beautiful bit of interchanging, you know, of, of combination football. And last season he scores it, and this season he doesn't. And then Bukayo Saka has a chance, four yards out, five yards out, to either blast it in on the volley, or I think the better option is just take it down with a nice cushion touch and pass it into the far post. And he doesn't. That's what I would have done. That's what I would have done as well. I mean, I, well, no, I would have biked it, like, you know, or or, or scorpioned it. Just yeah. so I could have a little bit more, you know, um, of the, the video going around the internet. I, I would have done the hardest thing possible in my world. But but my point is simply that, you know, if you look at last season and this season, our forwards simply aren't finishing their chances. Our forwards aren't taking their chances, not finishing their chances. I know early in the season we weren't creating the volume of chances. And in this game we didn't. But this is a classic example of we played poorly, but we could have gotten away with it. But we just don't. We don't finish. We're not executing in front of goal. And that Saka moment felt particularly important to me because it's right after they scored to go 2-1. You get back to 2-2 there, and it doesn't feel so desperate. Um, you know, against West Ham, we played a lot of the game trying to score two goals at once. And the end of the Fulham game, I think the play... You know what it reminded me of almost was the Brighton game at home at the end of last season. Tired players, down a goal, knowing a draw is not good enough, and really not believing they've got two goals in them. And I mean, when you look at it, it's kind of unforgivable. But from the time uh, Reed scores the goal to make it 2-1, Saka has the immediate chance right after, four minutes later. So from the 59th to the 63rd minute. After that, we had three shots the remainder of the game to Fulham's five. So we went in almost a half hour. Needing two goals, getting three shots worth a grand total of like 0.1 expected goals. We just, we didn't have it. And the Saka moment and the Martinelli moment, but the Saka one in particular felt really big to me, Paul. And I'm wondering like, analysis is great tactical now. Oh, this guy could invert and this guy could cut in and this guy could do this and we could do that. And everybody could do all this chess piece stuff and we could be the greatest team ever. But so much of football is still the good players doing the good thing in the critical moment. So What's what's your thought on, you know, Saka fluffing that chance, Martinelli's going wide to the post. The fact that right now one of the biggest issues we have is simply no one in our front three is is executing at the level they did last season when we historically overperformed the chances we created. We're not doing that this season. Yeah, uh, we definitely seem. Uh, I think if you took this period in particular, we're playing better football. Ignore this game, please. But it, I'd love to football we're doing better attacking it seems like i was saying leading into this game it seems like most of the attack has clicked the, the part of our attack that's not really happening is the left hand side and lo and behold the goal comes from the left hand side clicking into space uh havertz to martinelli 1v1 really nice curler to the right hand post that uh, saka swoops in to pick up um yeah here we go 
Now the left hand's clicking, and if we use that attack we had against West Ham from the right-hand side, and like Clive thought Jesus wasn't great against West Ham, I thought it was, I mean, I'm not saying I'm right on this, but to me, he looked like he was doing the business and he was busy, maybe didn't do anything big, but he looked like he was, uh, he was on it and he had that energy. And to me, kind of two-thirds of her attack against West Ham was the attack I was expecting and waiting for. And here we have this game against Fulham where the, the left-hand side finally clicks in, makes sense, and the right-hand side in the centre, just not at the levels. Neither is any other aspect of the pitch. I do think it's kind of a one-off where our attack has finally kicked in. We had this great defence, great midfield, where we've lost some key personnel and I think we've lost some momentum then. So... so my feeling was we were masking the improvement in the attack recently with because it was masked by the drop-off a little bit in midfield in terms of who was able to join in there. Defensively, we were more vulnerable, but it was good. We're, we're on the way, guys. We just need a little bit more robustness in terms of our personnel defensively um, so that you'll see the full enchilada here. We're kicking in. We just need a little bit more from the left-hand side. Um, but we're just so vulnerable off the wings at the moment. Before the their first goal, which was a lot like the West Ham first goal, that ball across our back line that, that just seems to undo us, Iwobi gets the ball on the right wing. It's kind of an overplayed pass to him that pushes him wide right, and he swings in across that goes right through our defense, over everybody's heads, uh, drops in the middle of the box, nobody gets a foot on it, and bounces all the way out again. That could as easily have turned into a goal as as the eventual first goal from their side. And Clive talked about, on the instant reaction, about how vulnerable we can be on the uh, uh, defensively in the full back spots after we've pushed forward. It just seems like if you're a little off in the way we play, and I know Arteta hates this stuff, which is why he always built from the back, why the whole toothpaste thing, the get solid at the back, get your shape right, because he didn't want to be a team that kept getting done on the, the counter. I think he has PTSD from his Arsene Wenger days when we play great football in the attacking third and they'd run to, through us two or three times. Basically what's happened kind of the last couple of games, it, we, They'd run through us, they'd get a goal, they get a stupid bloody um, set-piece goal against us. It feels very Arsene Wenger era. I think he's going to be gutted about that. He's going to really deeply bother him, and he's that is not the football he wants to be, to be playing. He he's, hates the insecurity of getting done at the back and getting done off set-pieces. Mm. Um, he may become a little bit more conservative for a little while, because... He's that's scary. Not, if yeah. that's the reaction, then I think that tells us something about Mikel Arteta. Because there's already a question for a lot of people about the extent to which we have sacrificed attacking verve, <clears throat> dynamism, incisiveness for control. And if the reaction of these last two games is to turtle shell even more, to give up even more attacking viability for compactness and control, I think that is the wrong lesson. We are not conceding big chances. We are not conceding a lot of chances we just aren't finishing our chances. That's the message. And the message is create more chances. And you look at a Liverpool team that's, I think, conceded almost 10 expected goals more than us. They've just been a little bit more fortunate in what they've conceded, but they create so much more than us. That's where the deficit is. One thing that I think is interesting, by the way, comparing this season to last season, last season we were fifth 
in successful take-ons per 90. This season, we are 15th. And our success rate has plummeted as well. We're not winning 1v1. We're not pulling defenses out of shape. And I wonder if that's more of that control thing we're seeing, just a yeah. willingness to recycle the ball rather than winning on the edges of the defense or winning in dangerous areas, you know, Clive? But, but yeah. Uh, sorry, can I just throw in one quick point on it? Is it also potentially because other teams are more prepared to sit deep against us more this I think it's an season excuse. than last season? You know, I thought about this a lot. We have been telling ourselves a story that the whole season is different just because other teams play defense better against us. But, you know, like I look at teams like Manchester City that have been playing this way for a very, very long time and teams have been defending them this way for a very, very long time and they find ways to solve the problem. I don't think teams were so shocked by us last season that they didn't play defense. Yes, we're facing lower blocks this season, but we're attempting fewer take-ons. We're taking them on at a lower success rate. We are attacking slower than we did last season. I, I do think that there has been a change. I think we have gone for a bit more control than incision, but but Clive, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I don't agree with the, the language. Because um, control, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Like, for me, it's you could say, you know what? Have we been a bit risk-averse in some of our passing selections? Right. So yep. on some days, I think... Having a slow build up like against Man City, I thought was genius. First time we beat them. Mm -hmm. We didn't we didn't we didn't attack until we were in shape. You're playing teams not so good and there's a pass to make, make it. You know, that's, again, I don't get very angry on here very often. I thought the Aston Villa game was a classic example of a team that was there to be to be killed and we didn't kill them. Oh yeah, for sure. We turned away from passes. Make it. And so risk averse is a word I would use that I'm more comfortable with. We need to be comfortable giving the ball away. Do you see what I mean by that? Because yeah. I yes. think we're quite good at winning it back. And when we win it back in an uncontrolled situation, then we've got a greater chance to see the wide men that we love in a broken play that we love to see. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to give the ball away. I'm really glad we're controlling games. But I'd like us to see a little bit be less risk-averse when we're going forward. And I don't mind the ball in the other team's hands if we're going to be a team that works off the ball really, really well. Because everyone knows that our possession, we are very, very good. So I want Liverpool, where Liverpool are better, or different, shall we say, because I don't think I don't think they're better. We showed that at Anfield, right? So but where they are better or different is they give the ball away. They give it away to get it back. And I'd like to see us just really take away the fear don't mind if you give it away. Focus on your reaction. And we're really good at reacting to turnovers in possession. So what we have now is, a, is real, really nice movements that allow teams to rest, get into shape, and get their blocks set for the next moment when it gets to our stars, who we then know what's going to happen. You know, so we need to create a little bit more distress, distraction, is it, I, I need I need help. You guys are good with words. Jeopardy, uh, Jeopardy, any good? Yeah. No, I, you know, you know, I I'm going to. You know, where I'm the going. Same thing. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I think we're all saying the same thing. Actually, just using slightly different language to describe it. But that's I how, do that's think how I joined. That's how I joined it. I said I I don't agree. When people say, "Oh, we this control," no, let's get specific. We are we are quite risk averse when it comes to our passing. Let's get specific. We are smart guys, right? Let's not, we are better. We need to be 
much more incisive and don't be fearful of being incisive in possession. I now, So this is really interesting because when I think about last season, I can remember our preseason preview prediction pod. And if you remember, guys, we were just starting to see this new evolution of Arsenal. We looked really good in preseason last season. You remember how good we looked? And we were like, wow, if, the, if this is real, we're going to be very good. But when we did our predictions, one of the things I said is I think we'll concede a lot of goals because I think we'll get hit on the counter a lot. I don't know if our press will always win. And at the end of last season, we we did sort of crumble a bit. A lot of that is losing Saliba, in my view, and then losing party and then losing fullback. So I, I get it. But hear me out. I'm going somewhere with it. I, I promise. I think what Mikel understands <clears throat> is where we set our line and where we play. If we lose the ball in central spaces, we are very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Losing the ball in wide spaces, we can push up against the touchline, we can counter-press, we can win the ball back. But when we lose it in central spaces, and I remember Saka would carry it into the middle last season or, or Martinelli would carry it into the middle, and if we lost it in those spaces, that's when we got hurt. I really think we are attacking into central areas less, playing dangerous, uh, um, risky passes into the center spaces less, and we are more willing to go into the wide space in the first phase of our attack and live there and then go around the horseshoe to the other wide space. Now, when we get it right, like we did for that Martinelli chance I described, it looks really good. But we have kind of decided to go from a a one-touch, quick-firing attack based on risky central passes to a team that wants to in-swing crosses to the back post. And, like, I I get it. Or, you know, but also, I, I do think... Is that because why the personnel do you think our take-ons are down? Elliot. What was that? We've had two of our three midfielders change, right? Significant yeah. spinal players and mm -hmm. who are ball progression experts. May not be so good at possession, but ball progression experts. So our ball progression is become less risk-averse. Less, less yeah. risky, less uh, incisive. And, and and by the way, Clive, like, why are our take-ons down? Are our take-ons down because Saka and Martinelli can't dribble anymore? I don't think that's it. I think they're up against extra defenders more often. Because when we're finding them with the ball, it's a little more ponderous. It's a little more predictable. They're not going to take on two guys and win, you know? We've reconstructed so, our midfield. Sorry to jump in a lot here, Paul. To, but yeah, please, please we, do. We've reconstructed our midfield. So we're playing slightly differently. And I think it has had a detrimental effect on our on our wide players. We, we spoke the other day about the speed of pass on the left-hand side. And there's a lot more intricacy on the right-hand side. He's, he's probably working better. But let's be honest, Ben White, he's not himself. Wherever he's carrying, mate, he's just standing in a hole and he's doing a job. And if Tom Yassi was fitter and Cedric was, had longer legs and was better, then he wouldn't be playing right now. So he should have a... He's, he's a He's a hero. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's doing a job, and we know he's not right. We know he's not right. And so we're we're a little bit broken at the moment. The dynamics are not there. Mm -hmm. But that happens over... I, know, I don't, I don't want to hand-wave him. But that does happen over a season. You do need to get here to get to the balance that you want. You need to find out what's what's rubbish. The problem with this game is that everything was rubbish. <laughs> and like and when that happens it, it does it does draw panic. It does draw panic. It does make people go to many different directions. Some more serious than others, those directions. You know, and um and I'm generally not sure where to go. So what I tend to do is look over I look down and over the team and look at the game. And when you look at this game, you see that how many things were wrong. 
But more importantly for me, the number one thing for me, the number one thing, you can't have a situation where Fulham are showing more mental fortitude and purpose to win a game of football than Arsenal Football Club. You start there. Mm. and uh, wherever, Whatever's happening with our talent, whatever's happening with our system, whatever's happening with our, our take-ons and passes centrally, and are we progressing the ball quickly enough? They had more desire to run around that pitch in the key moments. And that I haven't seen this season. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask you one more thing about the game specifically, Paul, <clears throat> but I'll just give you Mikel's take on it quickly. Today was our worst game of the season. We didn't have enough ball speed, enough movement, enough threat. And when we did, we gave too many balls away. We didn't deserve to win the game, and that's very clear and simple. Throughout 100 minutes, we were never at the levels that we wanted. I will say I think the fact that this game and the West Ham game came back-to-back has broken some people's brains because the two games are very different. The two games are very different. I didn't recognize the performance that we had against Fulham. I recognized it very much against West Ham because it's similar to a lot of games this season, which is totally dominant football, but not finding the moments to win the game. This was not that. Paul, the the question I want to ask you about is the substitutions. I don't know about this back three thing we're now trying when we're chasing a game, but I, you know, the decision to leave Eddie on and take Martinelli off, maybe he's struggling and they just know he can't go the full 90 at this point. Um, you know, Kivior came off at halftime. I feel bad for him, but you could see that coming a mile away. Um, I, I don't know that the substitutions did anything. And if you look at the second half, we went from contesting a game fairly evenly and having our own moments to really not creating anything. Um, and it has a lot of people asking a lot of questions about the makeup of the squad right now because Smith Rowe didn't come on and the players that did didn't change it and the players that were left on didn't seem to influence it. So... I was kind of surprised Jorginho didn't come on, frankly. Um, I was kind of surprised that Eddie stayed on and and, and Martinelli didn't. Um, the back three thing, I'm not so sure about. What do, what do you think about the way he tried to change it? Um, is it a lack of options, a, a lack of creativity? What? Wh- why couldn't we change the game with the changes we made? Um, it's, it's a bit hindsight, all right, but like his changes did nothing. Um I don't like I just don't get the logic of taking Martinelli off. I think he was our probably our most dangerous attacker for the period he was on. He 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 created the goal. He had other good attacking moments. He uh he, he even if he's struggling a lit a little bit um, and I don't think in particular he was struggling more than anybody in this game. I don't know why you'd take him off, but okay. So you want to keep, you want to get Trossard, you want to get uh, Havertz on there for a while. You got Nelson. The weird thing about Nelson is that he doesn't seem to have trusted him for most of this year. Um, and yet it, he's the guy who gets the vote. The one thing that cheered me up, against West Ham was Smith Rowe got on. So that was good. A little vote of confidence. It was mm. more than a couple of minutes. I don't know what he had, maybe 15, 20 minutes against West Ham, but he actually gave him probably more like 15 minutes. He gave him a good run and he did two, three things that caught the eye. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to make sense here. I think he like, all right, it's projecting. It's the opposite of hindsight. It's projection. I absolutely think that was the more obvious switch here. Uh, to get him on the pitch. I do understand... Uh, I do... The only reason you play Eddie in this game 
instead of Jesus. And I hear what you're saying in terms of freshening up Jesus, but Eddie's never going to have more zip than even a slightly tarred Jesus. So I could imagine they're protecting Jesus, but I don't think they did it to give us more energy. They just needed to project, protect Jesus. Um, and I guess it was, it just seemed very basic. It was like, throw on all the attackers. Okay, Nelson instead of Smith Rowe. We'll keep Eddie. We'll keep, uh, Je- we'll put on Jesus. We'll have more attackers. We'll, thro- we'll throw on Trossard. But it lacked craft. And I think you're absolutely right. The one I would have put on here was Jorginho. He's, mm-hmm. he has two or three passes that he will slip in in these kind people think of him as a side to side tappy kind of but he's the guy who will see that gap and hit it first time the guy who'll uh, kind of no look over his shoulder over the back of the defense to shake things up when you become so predictable the one thing Jorginho will do in the last 15 minutes he'll keep looking for that ball that undoes them that undoes them the risky ball that Clive's saying play that pass and we may think of him as a very safe, tippy-tappy player. That's kind of for the 50, 60, 70 minutes. But in the that period of a game where you need somebody to do something, to put in a pass that nobody else has thought about first time, Jorginho is your man. So I guess he's coming back from injury. He wasn't quite fit. I think it's one of those things that uh, Mikel probably has a reason why. If we were sitting with him and said, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? He'd be able to say, well, you don't know about this and you don't know that this is going on in the background and you don't know that that's going on in the background. Um, because didn't love the subs, certainly didn't love the impact. Um, that's the 2020 aspect of it. And I don't know why you wouldn't have given Smith Rowe the run instead of Nelson and why you wouldn't have got Jorginho on there. And at the if you had to lose Eddie, I don't know what it felt like you were going to lose in this game. Uh, if you had to get him on instead of uh, to get Jorginho on the pitch, the White versus Tommy Yasu on the right hand side don't really get that either. Apart from maybe White's just injured. I mean, I, I you know Ben White's very good at putting in a cross. Um. And he's a good attacker. He's a better attacker than Tommy Yasu. So I think there's a lot of things going on in the background we don't know. And Mm -hmm. we just ran out of gas and people have niggles. I think unless you have the whole picture. But if you just take it footballistically, those those subs did nothing clearly. And I didn't understand two or three of them. You'd absolutely want Jorginho on the pitch at that point. Yeah, and it frees up Rice to be more of a left eight or a, a kind of a force pushing into midfield, and it creates some risk. Okay, but we were two goals down at that point. Roll the dice. Yeah, uh, look, I think that there's a big, big question about the squad right now to be asked, and we're going to ask it in a moment. I think there's a big question about squad building and about how we use the squad, and I think most of us probably. We're discussing this even coming out of the summer, but because we're coming off such a good season, I think there was some patience. I do think that it's fair to question some things, and there are some questions we're going to get to. We're going to get to a few listener questions in a moment that touch on this, because um, I, I I think at this moment, we all love our 1 through 11, and I'm not sure we feel very good about anything beyond that. And by the way, I do think it is interesting, right? In In NFL football, there's a saying... On a team that's not winning, the backup quarterback is the most popular guy in town. And I do think we've been doing a little bit of that. Ah, Smith Rowe will save us. Oh, it's too bad we don't have Timber. He'd save us. 
you know, I mean, we we are we are pouring our wishes into players that we've seen very little of. But I think it's interesting. Zinchenko didn't play at Luton. What everyone say? Ah, it was probably a Zinchenko game, wasn't it? Zinchenko doesn't play in this game. Oh, our ball progression wasn't very good. Rice looked a little isolated, didn't he? Like, you know, we want to move away from some of these players, but we haven't put ourselves in a position to be able to. And I think, you know, we, we need to accept that when we start to ask these questions and presume that guys we've seen very, very little of are, are the answer to all our hopes and prayers. Uh, we'll talk a bit about where the season goes now. What, what, what the targets are and still could be. Is it still the title? Is it something else? And we'll talk a little bit about maybe some issues with squad building and, and how we address that. But we need to address our health. And the way you address your health is by taking a better supplement. And the one you should be taking is AG1. AG1 is whole body health formulated from the best ingredients, not loaded up with sugar, not loaded up with gummies, a scoop in water every morning. I started taking it for gut health and it has been absolutely essential to improving a condition for me that I'd really struggled with and that had bothered me. It is science driven, the formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients. Okay. I think that is critical. The way they are sourced as opposed to what you get in these gummies, turn the, turn the bottle around, look at 50 calories of sugar, you know, and a, and a lot of things that just pass right through your body. This is stuff that your body can absorb and use. Since I've been drinking AG1, I also noticed a spike in energy, which helped me get off coffee, which I would think I was drinking too much of and was making me feel not so great as the day went on. 75 high-quality vitamins, nutrients, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. Check it out, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Easy one today. All right, Clive, you ready to do the hard work, the unpleasant work of answering the questions of many miserable Arsenal fans out there who want to know yeah. what you think? <clears throat> I'll try and answer the question. I'm not, I'm not sure for a different direction. I'll try to stay I, with it. I'm going to give you one from uh, Bobby's Steely Gaze, brackets gargantuan, from Discord. Oh, I know him. Mm -hmm. we have I'm a in the match day chat now, Elliot, if you noticed. Uh, never go into match day chat. That's what you never, I'm never, in never there, do. The I mean, to be fair, look, shout out to the Disco boys and girls uh, on our Discord, because it is a hell of a lot of fun. It took me a while to get into the vibe. The vibe is... Um, Sometimes it's sort of like, uh, yeah, not, Doomy's not the right word for it, right? It's that gallows humor kind of thing that people do, and it, and it's it's playful and it's fun, but it can also be a bit much at times, so it depends on when you catch it. Um, we have a fairly large squad loaded with players who aren't trusted and don't get minutes, thereby eroding their value further. The likes of Smith-Rowe and Nelson having a combined sub-250 Premier League minutes and zero starts perfectly illustrates this. Should Adu be under more pressure from not protecting the asset value of players like this and selling them sooner, or should the pressure lay on Arteta for not playing them? Where should the buck stop for the mismanagement of resources like this? Ooh, mismanagement. Uh, when we're, uh, when his word's not mine. When we're, <laughs> send, send your angry responses to him. No, I, I think it's... Um, if, if people can show me the, the queue of clubs waiting to sign these players, then, uh, yeah, I'm cool with that discussion because I'd yeah. like to see those resources being... You know, get the top value so we can go and buy other players that we know are trusted at a higher quality. And don't you think that every other team in the league wants the same thing? Every team has got four or five players not at their optimal. Every team has got four or five players that haven't developed at the rate they wanted them to. And hence, some of them get loaned out. Some of them have bad loans, come back, their careers get derailed. 
We've got two players out loading Sambi and Nuno. That Sambi's now playing after a big hamstring. Nuno hasn't made the last you know a few squads, but I think he's back in um in squad favour, shall we say? We got another player out on loan. A couple of players in in Brooks Norton, Cuffey, and Ty Bettina that are developing. Then we have the Haylanders that are a couple of years older, and let's you know we we have debates about them all the time. There's money involved in them. Um, the, Good money, shall we say, for financial fair play if they were to move on. And there are rumours about Eddie, there are rumours about Spiffro that are starting to develop for the first time, rumours about Nelson. And all these players are contracted and their value is secure. It's just about the market opportunities. Mm. When we lose a game, we look at the we we tend to look for inefficiencies and redundancy in the squad. And that's natural. That's not a critique of the person who asked the question. It's just natural. We all do it. I do it. I, and we all want it to be absolutely efficient and optimal and the wages to be right and everybody at the top of their game. So when we have a bad day with the first level, we can stick on somebody that's really on it. Truth is, it doesn't always work like that. And is a great example of somebody that hasn't had the minutes, come on in an in a unfamiliar position and, and bombed out in 45 minutes. You know, so it's a tough one. Again, of all the Haylenders, Nelson and Eddie, I think... I think I've seen it. I think I've seen the show. Um, with Smith Rowe, I don't think I've seen the show. I don't think I have. I think there's something there. So I'm left loath to do something there. Um, but I'm also not one of those people that thinks he should be starting every single game because based on, on on what evidence. I think he has to earn it like everybody else does. You know, and um, and by producing. So... But yeah, that's that's why I'm there. I, I want to say to everybody else, efficient squad, well-managed. What I can say a difference is no one's walking out for free anymore. You yeah. know, so the opportunity's there. So I'd say from an edgy point of view, develop the market. And this is why, you know, sorry to jump a bit, when Paul was talking about the subs earlier on, and he touched on it as well, so I'm not going to critique Paul. It's very difficult to know where people are health and fitness-wise, but also when you're coming up to January, there's more to this than meets the eye. You know? Yeah, someone may be wrapped in cotton wool for a sale. or Exactly, exactly that. And a bit of shop window against West Ham, and suddenly we don't know what's around the corner. I think it'd be be easy to answer that question in in three weeks' time, after the 20th of January, particularly when we are back. We know something about our squad by then, I feel. Yeah, Paul, I want to stay on this not so much in terms of the resource management aspect of it, but the prioritization standpoint. I, I think <clears throat> you can look at how Mikel's built his squad, and it's pretty clear what he prioritized. And through that prioritization, he was able to make us into a very good, very reliable team fairly quickly. <clears throat> Some would say it wasn't quickly. You know, they would look at Spurs and where they are right now and say, oh, you know, Ange has them firing in one season and look at what Emery's done with Villa. Well, let's see where they finish. But neither of those teams to me seem poised to go challenge for a title. Those teams seem poised to maybe be on the edge of a top four challenge. Um, Challenging for a title requires, I think, different construction, different components. But who are the attackers he's bought? Gabriel Jesus is, I think, the only attacking player Mikel Arteta has bought. I think that's right. Maybe Willian, I guess, technically. Like a front three player? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could put Kai in the group. You could put Vieira in the group if you wanted to. 
But we have prioritized other areas of the pitch. And what's interesting to me is I understand resource protection. We re-signed Reese so we don't lose him for nothing. We re-signed Eddie so we don't lose him for nothing. We re-signed Smith Rowe so we don't lose him for nothing. But guess what? They're taking up squad places and we didn't buy players in their positions. So now when you look at our attack, you have a guy we haven't started in three seasons. You have a guy who I think has proven his level is not a starter on a title team. And by that, I mean Eddie and whatever you think of Eddie. Even if you think Eddie's quite good, he's not a starter. For, for a team that wants to do what we want to do. He's not Darwin Nunez. He's not Gakpo. He's not Diaz. He's not Jota, right? No offense intended. You yeah. look at City's front, you know, and, and comparing to City's always hard because like, look at all the money they have. But I want to compare to Manchester United for a second because Manchester United are a great example of a cautionary tale. Manchester United put a lot of money into attackers. Jaden Sancho, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo, Hoyland, Anthony. They all stink. I mean, Ronaldo doesn't stink. He's just, you know, we know. anyway, they gave Rashford all the money in the world. That's How you spend up front is going to determine your ceiling and your floor in some respect, I think. So I am a little bit curious about where we are as an attacking force because, Paul, Martinelli's not performing at the level we'd hope. Sack is not performing at the level that we hope. Jesus is not performing at the level that we hope. And I find it hard to believe that's just because the three of them aren't good anymore. Um you know, but I think that the construction of the squad has put so much pressure on them to play every game and play every game at an elite level. And and there's no one else that can come on and and hit stride. I mean, Trissard was a bit of that last season. I think he's fallen away a little. So I'll ask you what uh, ATL Gunner asked at ATL Leon Gunner. Am I the only one who just this week started to question our wide fo- uh, whether our wide forwards might be as good as we maybe hoped they would be? Fortunately, I've always thought both players had higher ceilings in more central roles. People are starting to question the guys that shouldn't be getting these questions, and I wonder if it has to do with not having built the options around them to to protect them a little bit from that. Yeah, I think it's options. I mean, you you know, the you mentioned it. The one other attacker we did buy was Trossard. He was going for Mudrick, and they went big on him. So mm-hmm. he reckoned, and it wasn't the first attacker he's looked for, but didn't get. I guess there was Vlavic uh, and Mudrick were bullets dodged, though. So that's not really a huge help <laughs> to the argument. You know? Yeah, you don't know how they would have worked out in your Fair. team, right? Uh, Rafinha was another one we went big on. So he's wanted. Oh, Clive didn't agree with that, but um, he's wanted. No, we didn't go attacker. big on. We didn't go big on Rafinha. I don't want you to go down that path, Paul. He, Eddie was asked to be kept informed if there was a, a movement. He was always going to Barcelona, so we didn't go big on Rafinha. Okay. okay. Well, I'm going to live in my reality. We went big on Rafinha, <laughs> and uh, so. We've we've had a look. We've wanted a. You can see the wide player, but they're like it's when the right player is available. No, we might look back at them and say they were the wrong player. But for the for the for our sporting director and coach and manager, um, it was when they saw the right player they went for them and they were willing to spend big money. Um, but they see that as opportunistic or mm. important, but not essential. I think. Well, you say the you know the show you put the lights up front. You you kind of you load up there if you want to do big things and you push this in. I think once you decide you're playing positional play, and obviously we are. I don't think that's true. I think it's you build from the structure of the team. If there's no structure, you got no positional play. You can't have a bunch of good players up front and the stuff in midfield and defensively undoes them on a continual basis. You basically won't have positional play. 
Mm. So you have to prioritize the kinds of players that are, and he's lent into the fact that he has uh, Saka and Martin Nelly miraculously always fit, but they are basically always fit. And when he's looked at spending his money, he spent it just a little bit further back on the pitch. The big improvement was going to be the left eight. I think we're still scratching our heads as to whether that's the case yet or whether it's about to be. You know, Havertz is is beginning to intrigue us a bit, but it, he, he certainly hasn't answered all the questions in all kinds of games and all kinds mm. of game states. I think he does certain things. You, you could see why some games he'd start and some games he wouldn't. So if it's not him, who is it? Oh, it's Declan Rice then, I guess, maybe is the other option. You play Jorginho, but behind him are two unfit players. Yeah. And, and like... We basically have 11 players that the manager likes, 12 when Tommy Asu's fit, and then our subs become, well, he also likes Eddie, but maybe we don't like him as much as the manager does. <laughs> when you look at the, it, he basically once again plays 11 players like he did last season. And I thought the big move we'd see this season is like Man City, because we're now in two important competitions we care about equally, and yeah. it's going to hurt us in the second half of the season, which is what we're trying to address. And I think we're still at 11 plus a couple he's okay with. A whole bunch of players who are either predictably uh, injured or uh, not used. I mean, you can count up six, seven players who there's money in that we don't really use uh, or take advantage of. Ramsdale, yeah. Smithrow, Party, Vieira. Timber of tragic Nelson. There's money in quite a few of those players and other players. There's opportunity lost and wages lost. It's a lot of players that don't convince us or don't really play very much for us. Yeah. Well, this is where I think, can we just, I just want to say this quickly. I'll do, I'll do this quickly as I can. It's the opportunity cost thing. We've talked about this on the pod before. I can understand you saying you have to sign Reese Nelson because you don't want to lose him for free. You have to sign Eddie because you don't want to lose him for free. You have to sign Smithrow because you don't want to lose him for free. But there is a flaw in that logic that doesn't get discussed. By having to sign them, you also have to use them because now they're in your squad. If you let them go for free, you know what it forces you to do? Replace them. If you sign them, you know what it forces you to do? Use them. And we don't use them or we don't want to use them. We don't think Eddie's at the level. The manager won't start Reese Nelson. Emil Smith Rowe doesn't stay fit. We and have he is resources. Fit, he get played. Yeah, so so you could say, oh, well, look, we protected their transfer value. Great. What is that giving us on the pitch? Nothing. It's giving us nothing on the pitch. So while I completely understand protecting their transfer value, we haven't converted it into value. And we, you know what? We could have sold them sooner, but we didn't. We could have sold Eddie when there was an offer two summers ago, and we could have sold Nelson for something, and we could have sold Smithrow for something. There were big offers for Smithrow. No one wanted to let him leave, and I get it. But you cannot keep players who you do not want to use. Don't give me the finances. It doesn't matter. Because ultimately, if you won't use them on the pitch, you're re-signing them as worthless. And by the way, re-signing Eddie to hundred grand a week, who's buying him now? So you've protected the value. Congrats. You're paying him $400,000 a month. What is that? Five, five-ish million dollars, five-ish million pounds a year. Maybe you get a 10 million pound bid. The, the math just doesn't work if you don't use them on the pitch. 
You wind up with a squad full of assets you've protected, but not players that you want to use. And by the way, we've done this, and, and I think, Clive, there's an issue you know, around where we put the money, where we prioritize the spending we have made. So uh, Khalil Kieran's at Lord, uh, Lord K. Alil on Twitter, butchered that, said, is it time to accept that giving up dynamism for greater control has been a bad thing? Let's shunt that to the one side because we already asked that. Is it time to accept maybe the near 100 million committed to Kai and Raya could have been better, could have been used better slash more towards our greater needs and attack? Do you think where the spend has happened has been the, the best way to add what's needed for, for this title challenge, you know, and where we're headed? Yeah, I think we're... I, I don't think I've ever looked at Arsenal and thought we had the, the right squad. Throughout my entire life, we've been one or two short, right? Yeah. So, And I think we're one or two short. I'd like to see another forward, and I'd like to see another... Another number eight, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and then I think we'll be we'll be happy. That's probably based on the fact that we've got injuries. You know, if those injured players were fit, I wouldn't be saying that. You know, I'd probably only be saying, you know, what we could probably do with a different type of striker if everyone was fit. You know, that's that's what I'd probably be saying if I'm if I'm being truthful on the Havertz thing. Um, I, I like that player, and I think Paul's absolutely right. I don't think he suits every day, and but I like that player. I think he has a lot of unique skill sets. On the Raya thing, you, you guys know me well enough, uh, uh, but we haven't committed anything this year. We committed three million pounds. So, but if you want to talk about the Raya thing and the dynamics of the squad, and has there been a big enough improvement there? I think that's an open question. I think he's doing nothing wrong, but I don't think Ramsdale's doing anything wrong. You know? And I don't see enough of the principles, which I know Raya has much better footballing principles than Ramsdale does. I don't see enough of a gap to justify the fact that it feels to me that a goalkeeper doesn't make enough saves. And that sounds that's that's not good analysis, but that's what it feels like to me. You know, and, um, so yeah, you can question that one if you could. But I also think um, I can see what the manager's trying to do there by adding different schools skill sets that we didn't have last year. And evolution is a big thing I always talk about. And when we try to change something and it doesn't work, the first thing we do is we stick our necks in our shells and say, why don't we mm. get Shaka back? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do what we did last year? Well, I guarantee you what we did last year wouldn't work this year. And that's just the nature of the game. I do think there are some things that we are missing at the moment. You know, particularly after the game, we played really, really poorly. Um, particularly from a, a team dynamic point of view. Uh, and I'm not someone who looks a lot in the attack area, but I do think we can be a bit more dynamic in our movement and spring. But we didn't feel it yesterday. You know, we didn't feel against Fulham, so it wasn't there. It was there against West Ham. So, yeah, the Raya thing is one I, you know, I really like this manager, as you know. I love what he's, I've learned through him or how he's developed our footballing style and changed our culture. And I know what he's trying to do by raising the standards of every single position. But that one is the one I, I look and think, was that really worth it? Was that really mm. worth it? That's and say, Clive, three million quid is not going to change the world. Not going to change the mm. world. It's clearly a mistake made 
either way you look at it. Even if you think Raya is an improvement, it means we have a £30 million keeper sitting on the bench that we went out of our way to go and get and that's and doesn't get played in any competitions. It's not like we use him in Europe and we just don't use him and he's sitting there and, uh, you know, uh, there's £30 million and we could use £30 million on another player. So there's no way of slicing the Raya thing without saying, well, we screwed up either this season or previous seasons in in having like every club is going to have a couple of these but when we spend as much money as we do and we have 11 players we like and one or two subs we like and that's the collective we between Arteta and us there's like 13 players we like and we need 16 or 18 and you've got Ramsdale sitting there you got ESR you got party predictably not available you got Vieira uh unconvincing when he's on for many, uh, injured too often. There's always going to be some injury luck. You got Eddie, who gets played a lot, but hasn't convinced anybody bar the manager. Uh, Jorginho, an aging player who's very effective, and you you couldn't have relied on him. I think he's done okay, considering. Uh, Tommy, who's injured... Half of most seasons, he's doing okay so far, but he hasn't actually played very much. Like, those are basically the 11 and those guys and Trossard. Yeah. Um, Look, we have a very, very, very good team playing very, very well and near the top of the Premier League. I don't don't think that the, the squad is broken, but I certainly think that some of the way we've allocated resources is... Leaves me wondering if we can score the goals to win the things we want to win. Um, and we just haven't seen this regime prioritize attackers in the market. So it's a bit of a head-scratcher. If I look at Liverpool and City, they both have five forwards that they don't mind if any of them play. They might have a preference. I mean, City would prefer to have Holland up front, and Liverpool would prefer to have Salah playing. But they've got five. We've got three. You know? <clears throat> and three's not enough. And and if you want to put Trissard in the group, I'm I'm not sure we feel he's in the group anymore. Then then we have four. I think we're at least one short. And a lot of us felt coming out of the summer that we were. And the thing is, you know, we did go big on this pod. Let's be honest, saying that the Raya thing was a good market efficiency that we were exploiting. Why not? Yeah. But here we are in January saying, well, we can't buy a forward because we need to use money to make the Raya deal permanent. We so, we're not, I, 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 we're not saying that, idiot. No, Raya, but I mean, that's what's being said. That we now yeah. have to we have to spend the money to make the right idea permanent. Bornstein said something like that, didn't he? But yeah. that's in the summer. That's in the summer. That's not now, right? That's in the new financial fair play window. The issue mm. for me, lads, is we didn't sell enough of the players we wanted to sell. Yeah, to create yeah. more funds to buy the extra player that we needed in the forward areas or midfield, wherever, whichever your choice mm-hmm. is. We didn't sell enough. We didn't. We had to loan people rather than sell. People didn't want to give us the offers that we wanted. You know, and people are not want to give Arsenal money. They know we're quite good and efficient. We'll spend it. Don't give us money. They know everyone knows where our squad churn is. They're not gonna throw extra money at them. And particularly if you're not playing them. You know, Eddie's had a lot of minutes, he's had probably as many starts as Jesus. So he's probably he'll he'll probably be the one to go. And you know why? Because he's played. You know, he's played. 
we need to create a market for Nelson and Smith Rowe at the moment. The only way you do that is by playing them in certain moments and see what they can do. Or you play them shortly, you protect them, you whip them out. It's it's clear to me there was a couple of sales we wanted to do and we couldn't do them. And that's kept us one or two short, which is a lifetime story for me. And um mm. and and I mentioned the other day, I mentioned Kieran Tierney, and I think that's one player we thought was gonna go for good money. And Newcastle turned away from it and bought somebody else. And we had to loan him out to Real Sociedad. That story to be told, by the way, because there's a couple of players there we like. You know, so um let's see how this let's see how this drops. But yeah, I think that's the issue for me. Not enough sales for people that we were happy yeah. to sell. Yeah, we that's been an issue. I agree with that. Look, I I want to be careful. I don't think the squad is terribly constructed. It's weird, right? The players we've bought to be starters, essentially, have mostly worked, right? Gabriel and White, and we think Timber will be good, and Zinchenko has been good, and um, Declan Rice, obviously, and and uh, Gabriel Jesus, you know, has been very good, whether he's the absolute elite striker we need. I, I think where we've gotten things wrong, unfortunately, is at the margins. The Sambies and the Vieiras, right? Um, some of those guys, it hasn't worked the way... We hoped it would, but every team gets things wrong. You know, I, I don't think Liverpool fans love Dominic Sobeschlei. You know, I don't think that, you know, the Chelsea are feeling very good about many of the purchases they made that they're now turning around and willing to get rid of. And it's some of the biggest spending too, Caicedo and Fernandez and um, Hoyland and Anthony. And you, you just see the deals are hard. They don't always work out. We wanted Mudrick. He doesn't look very good to me. I know a lot of people still think he could be good for us, but he doesn't look very good. So this stuff isn't easy. <clears throat> and I think with the big spending we've done, we've mostly hit the nail on the head. But one question about Kai has come up that I, I think is a really fair question that I don't totally understand. I'll start with you on this one, Paul, quickly. From Tishido, uh, Tishids, let, me, let me get this right, Tishidiso, um, and... I think I got that right. Anyway, that's on Discord. By the way, uh, hearing news of an earthquake in Japan, and I haven't really read up on it yet, but it sounds like it hasn't been a good situation. So sending love and thoughts and and uh, best wishes for things to be okay in Japan and to anybody uh, going through that right now. Wish you the best. Um, Paul, uh, he says, or she says, why do you think Mikel is so reluctant to use Kai up top instead of Eddie? This could also help get some rotation out wide with Jesus playing out wide. This has been by far the biggest surprise to me of the Kai Havertz acquisition because I thought he might be an excellent eight and there have been times when he's looked like a pretty good eight but I also thought it adds a lot of optionality to us in the front line because what did we just say we only have three forwards we trust but if you can play Kai at nine you can then play Jesus instead of Saka or Jesus instead of Martinelli or you can play Trissard and Jesus and give Martinelli and Saka both the day off you can have Rice and Jorginho in midfield or party if he's back, right? So you could go Jorginho, Rice, Odegaard, Kai, Trissard, and Jesus. And Sack and Martinelli are both getting the day off, and you feel okay about that group or some combination of that. His willingness to go with Eddie over Kai, you know, I don't want to make this a, a kick Eddie situation, but it is surprising to me because while I don't think Havertz is an elite nine by any stretch of the imagination, he has played there, and I think he's a, a an option, but we have not seen it basically, I think, since the community shield. Um, did he rotate into that position at the end of the city game? Maybe I think that's right, the the league one. But that's about it. Any thoughts on why 
that hasn't been an option for us more often? Yeah, I think there's more to it than I'm about to say, but I think there's a really logical reason why I would have been okay with it so far. Uh, I mean, to begin with, Havertz kind of sucked for a while and his confidence was on the floor. And then lately he's kind of got back into a groove and he's feeling good. And around now will be the time where I think it will be appropriate if the manager were that way inclined. I'm not sure if he is or not. But if he were that way inclined, I can fully understand why he didn't put him into the firing line as the striker. I know it's the false nine and it's your primary job isn't necessarily to score. But while things weren't good for him, the last thing I would have done to him as a manager would be to make him solve my false nine problem by putting him in instead of Eddie when we were struggling. Remember how mm. much our attack struggled and people like that's part of the reason you'd say, well, let's try it with, let's try it with something with uh, product X and product X was Havertz. Well, that's not right to Havertz. Even when he just started to hit form, you don't then say, well, we will thank you by putting you in the striker position where you'll go back to not scoring. You'll get, go back to the world questioning Remember all that narrative which has some basis to Arsenal, uh, I'll rephrase it, Arsenal don't know what they bought here or where to play him. Imagine he plays a couple of games for us up front. It doesn't go well. It's not really down to him. It's just we're not really functioning. He's certainly not scoring. He whiffs at a few. Remember him earlier in the season whiffing at a few and coming off the side of his foot? Like if I'm the manager and I've just got the Kai Havertz thing turned around and the vibe's feeling good. I don't do that to him. Now, I've got another half a season to come, so now's when I start to dabble with him as the false nine instead of Eddie. I don't think that's going to happen for some reason because I think he likes Eddie for reasons even I can't understand to a level that that just don't make sense to me. And I'm uh, like, I do actually think Eddie's pretty good. He just doesn't particularly suit our season, uh, our, our way of playing. I think he does the things Jesus does, but a lot less uh, energetically. And that's, that's, that's not a minor thing given how we play. I mean, just the pop with Jesus is phenomenal. I think Havertz gives you a lot of that. Like if we could all get over the, Let's not judge him on end product as a false nine. As a as a manager, I'd have started playing him a couple of games ago instead of Eddie. I'd certainly have played him in this game instead mm-hmm. of Eddie. But that would have assumed that Jorginho is fit and that Rice can play as the left eight. Uh, I think that's a perfectly logical way to play that I would prefer over our current way of playing with Eddie. But I can understand from a personnel management standpoint, given he, he's like a filly who's skittish basically Havertz. You don't want to spook him. Um, he's really good. You've got to put blinkers on him, uh, not because he's not smart, but you just want him to focus on the things you want him to do. And you got a skittish player there in a, de- in a tricky moment. You don't screw around with him. In the second half of the season, yes, we should be playing as a him as a false nine going forward instead of Eddie because he's way more like Gabriel Jesus. And look at the number of times in a game we shove um, Havertz into the false nine position with with Jesus dropping deeper into midfield so that we can use his height, we can use that, the options. The There are plenty of low block situations where you want him getting in on the end of something uh, from 
a sack across and he's drifting into those positions. It makes all kinds of sense, but I don't think Arteta is going to do that a lot in the second half of the season for reasons I can't quite understand. Yeah, Clive? Yeah, I, I think Havertz more or less plays centre forward anyway. Um, and him and Jesus rotate, as Paul touched on there towards the end. True. Um, I, I don't think... What, you know, if you, if you want... Again, I, I, in this game... I would have. The thing is, though, Clive, the when Jesus isn't available is really the question, right? Because I agree with you. They he does drift in there. Yeah, when so, Jesus isn't available. Then you're going to get Eddie yep. as a left eight. Why not? Rotating with yeah, why not Kite center forward when, rather than Eddie when Jesus isn't playing? I was just about to say that. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally <laughs> just about. I was just just being polite as always. If we could just get out of your way. Right? Um, just basically, up. what I would have hey, done in this talk. game when Eddie would have come off, I would not have taken Kai off. You see what I mean? I would have took. I would have put him up there with Jesus, and made that our our front end of the pitch. Kai didn't play in the last game. He was fresh. He had nine minutes in him. I would have not taken him off his pitch in this game. I'm not saying we'd have won it, but I just wouldn't have done that. There could again, there could be things we're not aware of. But um so yeah, and I, I think sometimes you learn things about players. Um when when Kai's not there, I think Ed, Eddie should play. You know, his directness is is needed, shall we say, on certain scenarios. But hey, look, we're we're trying to make we're trying to make something work here and we have to ask ourselves the questions where we want to head. There are players in our group that have shown us maybe their limits and we need to maybe look at mark opportunities for those players. You know, and that and that's such and that's just that just football. It happens all the time. It happens all over the country, all different levels. We've shown our limits, we had a good look, we want to try to evolve the squad in a slightly different way. And so, yeah, it's, it's coming. It's coming shortly. We've done the work. Mm. It's coming shortly, in my opinion. Well, let me ask you this then. AGM on Twitter at Velvet Shinpads asks, what is now a realistic points target for this season, given that we'd need to win 16 and draw two of our remaining 18 games to reach the magic 90 points? And is the league now gone? Question mark. That's great to me. I'm not great with yeah, uh, pointing at numbers. I'm much more interested in the next series of games. If I, if you ask me honestly, I want these players on a sunbed. That's the first thing I want. Uh, and then that mid-season break. Well, how about That's, this then? I'm going to flip you to a different question. Mm -hmm. Henrik Ho Jacobson at Hen Henrik uh, Henki Hos. Anyway, uh, will you go full strength against Liverpool? it's becoming a must-win with the two losses in a row. I think this is an interesting one to where you were going, Clyde, because mm. had we beaten West Ham and Fulham, I think there would have been more of an allowance. We're sitting top. We're doing great. The players look a little shagged out. Rest them all against Liverpool in the FA Cup. We get it. Having lost two in a row and feeling downtrodden about our prospects, people are going to demand a response at the Emirates against Liverpool in the FA Cup, which we kind of chucked last season. So now I think he's in a tough position, because I agree with you. I don't want these players doing anything. I want them resting up, but... It changes the calculus now, doesn't it? Um, this game just didn't need this game. We play Liverpool, I think, February the 4th. So they're going to get a look at us in our environment for the game that really matters, I think, in the league. So we're playing quite quickly in the league. Um, we're lucky we didn't play them in the League Cup. You know, can you imagine it? We'd have mm -hmm. played them literally four times. <laughs> it's ridiculous in a short space of time. That has That drains you. And I think Liverpool game has drained us already. You know, the, the the big Anfield night has, take, has took something from us. 
you know, and um, so I'm torn on this. I'm also torn on what's better for us and and what's better for Liverpool. Do we want Liverpool get, getting the extra games? You know, do Liverpool want to be out of it because they see a chance to win the league? You know, with the Europa League not being so taxing, they see a real chance to win the league. I'm not sure the approach of both majors. Now, if I'm, even now I wake myself up a little bit and think, if I'm Arteta, a home game in front of the fans, he's got to go for it, hasn't he? Knowing he hasn't got to play for two weeks, he's got to put out a strong team and, and go for it. But I wonder if Klopp lost it, would he be bothered? And if Arteta lost it, would how bothered would he be? Probably more bothered with a home game. But I, I do think there are opportunities ahead but right now they don't feel that big when you just lost two on the spin right? but a couple of weeks ago we were feeling very good about ourselves so it's a tough one right it's a tough one but I suppose he's going to go for it Elliot, just because of the gap but if we knock exactly. Liverpool out I wonder if they'll be smiling to themselves a little bit as we load up the games I mean they've got what two, two legs of a semi-final in the League Cup in January also don't they that's a good point that's um, coming soon that's a good point yeah, they're like playing the, Fulham actually, aren't they? I think they're playing Fulham. So it's it's like two League Cup ties and an FA Cup tie in January. I think it's an interesting one because I think we will see a very heavily rotated Liverpool at the Emirates, um, both to keep something in reserve for the league fixture and because they just have too many fixtures they have to concentrate on in January. They won't have Mohamed Salah either way, and they may not have Mohamed Salah for the league fixture. Yeah, um, you know he he will certainly be coming back. Pretty t- tired, I would imagine. Um, it's a really interesting one. So I-, I think for me, I think you know where I stand on this. I'd like to get the players a rest, but given where we stand and the FA Cup is something that we probably would like to win, I think you're going to face a weaker Liverpool squad and it's a chance to beat them and maybe get yeah, some I agree. some vibes back. I'm not usually a vibes guy, but we've got a week off till that game and then what, more than a week? Till two the, weeks. The Premier League, two weeks till we, the Premier League. Seventh to the 20th. Yeah. Right, so we've got plenty yep. of time. You know what, Ellie, One just, game just in listen 20 to you days. Talk. Listen to you talk. Yeah. The vibes of a win. We could all do that right now, couldn't we? <laughs> I don't care where it comes. I, I'd say it like this, right? <laughs> player, player, you know, fans and players aren't that dissimilar in the sense that I saw a lot of really downtrodden players at the end of that game. And mm. I'm sure there's a lot of self-questioning going on. It wouldn't hurt to beat Liverpool, knock them out of the FA Cup, and then have two weeks to live on that memory before yeah. diving back into the league and having to face them again. Because rotating heavily and getting knocked out by Liverpool at home when we have to face them again, in the, I don't know, like, this is where you get into the soft factor stuff. Your mileage may vary. If you are a pure, don't put the minutes in their legs guy or gal, then you won't want them playing. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. But that leaves yeah. the final Pretty question much. then, Paul. And it's the question I think most people are going to be thinking about right now. And it's the one that I think is massively overstated. I kept guys, we got questions about whether Mikel Arteta should be sacked at the end of this season, depending on this, depending on that. And like that to me just feels so outside the bounds of something that needs to be discussed. And I, I just think you have to stop from it. Not because managers shouldn't be held to any standard whatsoever and not because he's done everything perfectly, but we are a team that is in our consecutive second consecutive season of challenging for a title. We cruise through a champions league group. Our underlying metrics tell us that we play good football we do play good football. And oh, by the way, we were able to recruit a player like Declan Rice because of the reputation and part of our manager. And all you have to do is look at clubs like Chelsea and United. You know, outside of City and Liverpool who have Klopp and Pep, 
everybody else has been you know reaching around in the dark for a flashlight, a, a ray of hope at manager. So I uh, you know I think there for the grace of God go we to some extent. Um, so Paul, I'll ask it again. What is now a realistic points target for this season, and is the league now gone? Um, look, calls for sacking the manager at the end of the season. I think we should sack him now. Mm. Um, I'm not going to get outmaneuvered one more time. I'm not going to be the last one to see the obvious writing on the wall. I'm going early. You're going to get ahead of it. <laughs> You're going to get yep. out in front. Get so out in front of it. Um, do you think the Villa manager could do a job for us? <laughs> I think he's shown himself in the, the Premier League. He's shown how you can take a team to another level. It he's, does show you how stupid this stuff is, though, right? Because Forrest yeah. sack a popular guy, and the new guy comes in who's been bad somewhere else, and he looks good, and everybody thought Ooh. Gary O'Neill was good, and he leaves Bournemouth, and Bournemouth looked great with Iriola. Is that his name? Yeah. I think that's his name. And, you know... Unai couldn't do it for us, and look what he's doing for Villa. This manager lark is a little weird, and maybe, maybe, maybe it is actually about just having really good players, but, you know, your mileage may vary. So, come on, where are we going to finish? What's our uh, points total going to be, and where are we going to finish? Uh, look, I'm normally... I, I don't think the points are going to be all that this year. I think we're probably going to be low 80s. Um, but... Has the league gone? I mean, Jesus, we're two points behind. Okay, they have a game in hand. So we could be somewhere between three and five points behind Liverpool. Um, no, the league has not gone. Anything can happen. You put a run of... In any weekend, you, you can have a three-point shift. We play Liverpool one more time at home. Uh, there's your three points back. There's your momentum back. Um, absolutely not has the league gone. It's kind of about what we do. <laughs> like the first half of the season will not be the same as the second half of the season. It might be worse. It might be about the same, but it might be better. And if you look at last season, the first half of the season was electric and the second half of the season was good till we tailed off. The second half will not be the same for any one of the three or so contenders for the title. So it's absolutely not gone. Ridiculous talk. Now, I have concerns. It, it might be gone in the sense that if we don't have the gas and playing with 11, 12 players you trust, and this year two big competitions you care about in March and April, maybe you can project into the future and say, we don't have the gas as it stands unless, like, I don't know how we do it if we're only going to use 12 players we trust. I can't see how we're going to compete against a team who uses 16, 17, 18 players they trust and the manager likes. Mm. So that would be my cause for concern. You can't do it with 12 players you trust. I mean, I, I have a hard time arguing that point, right? I mean, given everything we want to compete for, I, I would love to see us get a, a forward, a really good forward in January. I don't know that that's possible. You know, and people come back to me, by the way, and said, oh, have you rethought your idea? Don't buy backups. Don't, you always said, don't buy backups. You know, now we wish we had backups. No, I haven't changed my thought at all. The problem is we have backups. Don't buy backups, right? What I mean the by that is backups. don't buy players whose role is specifically to never be a starter unless the worst case scenario happens. Buy players who are going to push for a starting role. That's what you buy. That's what you buy. You buy a player who's so good 
that there are games that you feel you've got to start that player, even though he's not the recognized starter. Otherwise, you wind up with guys on the bench the manager doesn't trust. You wind up with Reese Nelsons who haven't started in three years. Reese Nelsons a lovely player, and I'm sure he'll have a good career, but the manager won't start him. That's no good to us. So don't buy backups. Buy a guy you think has a chance to force his way in. Leo Trissard actually is a good example. Trissard was bought to be depth, but Trissard was good enough that he pushed Eddie out of the team when Eddie was starting, and then he started to push his way into the team more. And I, I know he hasn't had the best season this season, but that was really helpful for us last season. So I still agree you don't buy backups, but I think we need more. Clive, as a final thought? Yeah, I um, think yep. I think on that, I can't stay quiet. <laughs> I think on that, yeah, right, what's happened? It, yeah. What's happened? Our standards have just raised. The quality of our team has just gone higher, and the people that were comfortable, you know, particularly our academy players, are comfortable in this team at a level. That level's gone up, mm-hmm. and now we question them. Now, I don't think the academy players are the problem. They cost us nothing. We maybe development is the, the discussion. You know, had some of the players like Vieira. Uh, Trussard developed on this year. You know, we've got some aged centre midfielders that we don't really use. There's, a, there's some exit talk about them as well. Um, have we developed on to a level, you know, with injuries Smith for our Nelson in opportune moments? They haven't quite kicked on, but they haven't quite kicked on for this team. And the reason why they struggle, because Martin and Saka were just really, really good. They're yeah. very mm-hmm. good. You know, none of us is picking, none of us is saying they've got to be sitting down because they're that good. Would we say if there was somebody else really, really good, like a Pedro Neto on the bench? I'm just giving his name as an example because that's what we most of us think because he's good enough to really push them. But when they're good enough to really push them, then we have to invest money. And when we invest money in players, we then question, is that the right investment? You know, and uh, because another gap appears somewhere else, so we can't overinvest because we are financially impinged. It's a really tough balancing act. You need someone to develop through. When you speculate on a Vieira and a Sambi, Sambi's on loan at Luton. Vieira's got an injury. We haven't really seen him only in small spurts. That's the player you want to push this group develop in. That was a plan. By now, he's mm. kicking. He's kicking. He's not sitting there with a bandage around his knee. He's on. He's there. He's pushing in a couple of positions. He's adding a bit of oomph because he has got the quality. He hasn't developed into his team as quickly as we hoped. There's a gap there. There's a gap. And that is the that is the challenge, isn't it, Elliot, to really insert yeah. these guys appropriate at appropriate time and give them a chance to succeed. You made a great, great point there. When you're a team that wants to be maybe fifth, maybe fourth, if you're lucky, the level of the guys in the squad can can be different than when you want to go to 90 points and compete with City and compete for the Champions League. And suddenly guys that felt like useful parts of a squad, all, all of a sudden you recognize the deficiency because they're not at that level. And the gap opens up. You know, when you buy a Declan Rice and you think about having tried to use a Sambi Lakanga, the gap is clear. Right. When you, you know, when you buy that caliber of player, that gap seems clearer. And we're definitely living in that world right now. Um, and, and, you know, just for the record, I, I wasn't trying to pin it on the academy players. What I'm saying is that, like, I don't, you know, I would bet Liverpool fans outside of Salah basically don't care if it's Diaz or Jota or Nunez or Gakpo. 
And City fans, aside from Holland, basically don't care if it's Alvarez or Foden or Grealish or Doku or, you know, they probably want to be Doku. But, like, you get my point. Like, we don't have that interchangeability. Like, we'd all want Saka, Martinelli, and Jesus, but we don't have another guy that when he comes on, Trissard was kind of there last season, right? If Martinelli didn't play, but Trissard did, we we're like, okay. But this season, it feels like it's those three or we're our heads in our hands. And so what I mean by don't buy backups is try to get a guy that when he's on the bench, that's fine. But when he's not on the bench, you're excited to see him get a start. You know, you think he's going to hold the level. I think we're a bit short there. I think we can, by the way, I'm going to go on record. I think we're going to run the league close. I, I still believe if you rule out the Fulham game, take the Fulham game out, and everybody has a game like that. I, I know it's a, annoying to hear it, but City dropped points to Lampard's Everton last season in their treble winning season. Liverpool failed to win at Luton. Like, I know it's frustrating, and two in a row is no good, and we're not where we should be right now. We have dropped points to Fulham twice, to West Ham, plus lost to them in the Cup. It's not good enough. I acknowledge it. But we beat Manchester City. We took points at Anfield. You know, I mean, th there are things to still feel really good about this season. And if, you know... If things break our way, we could be two points off the top today. We'll be five points off the top. We're not out of it. If you drop the Fulham game out of the mix, we have played football that I think is as good as anyone else in the league. I believe that. And the underlying metrics tell you that if you're a data person. So I think we will run the league close. I think this league gets decided by things we forget. If Rodri misses 10 games, City won't win the league. If Salah comes back from the African Cup and Nations broken, Liverpool won't win the league. A lot of it winds up being stuff that isn't in your control. So maybe those things break our way this season. And maybe the winter break means that our players come back looking a little refreshed and start taking their chances. Because this Fulham game, if that Martinelli sh shot doesn't squeeze just past the post and Saka blasted in from close range, no, we didn't play well, but we're going hallmark of a champion. Played poorly and won. <laughs> you know, so we just need some of the things that, that haven't broken our way to break our way. Um, and I still think we can be very good. And I still think we'll go deep in Europe is also my opinion. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we can definitely leave it there. Happy New Year, everybody. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! And Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, the Notes app screenshot I just got from Tim says, Happy New Year and thank you to everybody. So there you go. Um, th three big questions coming up this week on the Patreon along with a couple other things. Um, and we'll have a lot of fun uh, interviews with different people during the, the winter break to talk to people about transfers. Of course, we'll have scouting videos, um, which are, are popular over there. So we'd love to have you over there. Just happy to have you over here. Either way, uh, hope you're doing well and hope you had a wonderful new year and looking forward to a brilliant 2024, a treble winning 2024 for, for Arsenal. It is still possible. Keep hope alive. My name is Alex Smithy, Blackman, Twitter, Ink Gunner. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool 10. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.